Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and Anne Guest. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 173, and I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Brian Adewumot. Great to have you here, Brian. A real, a real privilege to have you oh, on the show. Thank you, Paul, and um, good fun to be here. Now, um, for those who don't know you, um, where do you fit into the technology industry today? And I think um, just give us, you know, maybe what your business is, mm-hmm. and then later on we'll dive into a little bit of your your history because okay. you've been involved in the industry for, uh, for far too long, for, for, yeah. for a long time. Yeah. Um, yes, I, I have a company at the moment called Computer Forensics NZ Limited, and uh, we're involved in two primary activities. Uh, first of all, the uh, field of commercial data recovery and then providing a service for doing uh, a paralegal uh, investigation which is um, computer forensics and of course forensics of course is where, where all the good tv programs come from exactly csi yep. and, the, and the like yes, all, yeah, all the good one. fun stuff yep. cool all right we'll look forward to diving into that as we get uh, we get further into the show and hearing a bit of your story uh hearing about your uh, your time spent with the likes of uh, steve jobs and, and bill gates but uh to start with let's uh, let's jump into some of the news and bits and pieces that have been happening uh now we might mix this up a little bit in terms of um in terms of what we what we chat through but um first up i'd like to chat about uh google who have just uh, just just announced in the last couple of days uh, that they're slashing their uh, their prices for uh, for storing data in their uh, their cloud service Google Drive. Um, this is a pretty dramatic uh, re- reduction in in price, uh, and for now, for uh, two US dollars a month, people will be able to get a uh, hundred gigs worth of cloud storage, or for ten US dollars a month, uh, one terabyte of of cloud storage. Yeah, well, you could. This be, is, a, this is yeah. huge, isn't it? You could be um, forgiven for thinking that um, they're trying to push Microsoft off the table. <laughs> but well, well, they're well, they're they're always trying to do that, aren't they? But yeah. um, I mean, Dropbox has been the biggest player in in terms of uh, you know, I guess the uh, yeah general cloud storage mm. market that uh, that that both Google and Microsoft are, have been trying to win a bigger share of themselves. Uh, I wonder if this will jeopardise the. Uh, you know, the business model for Dropbox. I think Microsoft have got deep enough pockets they can drop their mm. price to mm. uh, to anything. And and in fact, Microsoft probably had uh, some of the sharpest prices in the in the market uh, previously uh, to this with their their annual subscriptions. Uh, and I think you were paying uh, you were, for for twenty five um, US dollars a year. You were getting fifty gigs from from Microsoft. Uh, so I mean, what we're talking here is is around half that type of uh, that type of rate. Uh, but of course, Microsoft were were previously undercutting uh, undercutting the others. But you know, Dropbox, we're told, uh, may be trying to uh, launch onto the stock stock market this year with a with an IPO with an initial public offering. I wonder whether uh, this means that their business isn't viable any longer. What do you think? Well, I, I think you must be right, Paul, that uh, you need something else. If, if you're bringing a, a new a genre to the marketplace, uh, it's almost like lifting yourself up by your bootstraps if you think that that's going to 
propel the whole thing forward. You have to have something. You've got to get have cash behind you, mm, and uh, mm. if you don't have it, you better go out and um, and and do the old IPO thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it'll be it'll be interesting to see whether uh, whether whether you know Dropbox does move ahead with that, uh, whether they become an acquisition uh, target because mm, they've mm. they've got that huge customer base. Uh, yeah, I think that it's, it's going to be an interesting year in cloud storage, but I think it's uh, exciting for uh, f- you know for consumers especially because you know the um, uh, the the capabilities we can now uh, get in terms of various cloud offerings just keeps imp- increasing, uh, yet the prices keep uh, keep falling. Yeah, but um, do you not think that it can come to a stage that um, it's a very useful product for a company to have? But if you're not making any money out of it, um, well, we'll keep it there to uh, keep the punters in. But let's go where the money is. Yeah, I mean, I think for uh, for the likes of of Google and Microsoft, they're they're taking a bigger picture, you know, type view on mm. it. They uh, uh, they they probably get their profits out of out of scale to a degree. Mm. Uh, but also it's about having people on their, their platforms across the board and some bits of their platforms won't be profitable yeah. or won't be very profitable. And brand awareness, the whole thing, yeah. Yeah, must, must play in there yeah. somewhere. I mean, uh, certainly there, there's a reason why Google give away, uh, you know, 15 gigs worth of storage just <laughs> for being uh, part of their ecosystem. Uh, Microsoft gives away unlimited when it comes to, uh, email storage with uh, Outlook.com and uh, 7 gigs when it comes to SkyDrive. So, uh, yeah, there's certainly some advantage for them in, in having you uh, within their, uh, their their world, as it were. So, yeah. Or, or maybe, again, Google's just been nice guys. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's probably that, Brian. You're right. You're right. It's, it's uh, just trying to help everyone out. So uh, thanks, thanks, Google, for helping us out. God bless you. Uh, um, now... Uh, DigiLife. Now, this is an initiative um, that I, I uh, actually just just come across really in the in the last few days. Uh, now, Telecom have got their uh, digital ventures division, which is is uh, separate to Geni and separate to Telecom uh, Retail. Uh, that works, I guess, on sort of more entrepreneurial type activities, things that maybe don't fit within the other businesses or, or not just yet. And uh, they've been working away on on various projects. And last year, I played with the uh, uh, the smartphone that they loaned me that could do uh, uh, payments. Had the sort of the integrated uh, NFC uh, payment system, and uh, and that was good fun. Not something we've seen come to market uh, just yet. And maybe that that will be the case with with uh, you know more of of their offerings. But uh, DigiLife is is one of the projects that they're working on. Um, at uh, digilife.co.nz are the the uh, the details for it, and, and what it effectively uh, is is a um, well to start with they're setting it up as a trial, but it's all around uh, the smart home, and we've we've heard this sort of smart home concept before, uh, you know. A, a home that's sort of connected and lets you control all sorts of things from from your smartphone or you know some from some device 
and, uh, you know, taking care of, you know, your security systems and, you know, especially home automation and, and the like, uh, potentially, you know, managing your, your uh, energy usage and tracking it and so on. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Digi, DigiLife is this play from, uh, from Telecom Digital Ventures to, uh, to get into that, uh, into that space. Brian, uh, do you think there's much promise in, in this concept of the, of the smart home? Oh, hell yes. Um, but I'm thinking the DigiLife thing, one of the, the fundamental things you mentioned, the, the um, alarm, the, the house alarm, as we move into VDSL, uh, the question is, gee, what do we do about uh, uh, the old alarm system? Well, I, I've just gone through that um, uh, menopause, I guess, and uh, it was quite obvious. Um, do it over the uh, over the um, wireless. Yeah, yeah. Is, I think uh, yeah. As exactly we move to sort done. of yeah, the naked broadband. Yeah. You don't have phone line anymore. Yeah. Move to UFB. Yeah. Um, yeah, your your copper connection for your old alarm mm. um, that that's yeah, gets cut. Doesn't work. And yeah. uh, this sort of thing yeah. make make makes a lot of sense. And yeah, what I like about this is because uh, and and some others uh, maybe that are, that have been working on competitive offerings may not like um, is of course telecom has got their their own network, so they can uh, they can produce uh, you know something, and it'll be a you know, combination of, of products that are that are being uh, bought and uh, you know from from um, yeah ver- various vendors, and then they'll come up with some sort of integration uh, piece that brings them together, a smartphone app, and so on. Um, but the real crucial bit is they've got a mobile network mm. that they can talk to. So what 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 I've heard from uh, uh, discussions with them so far is that they really want to. Target this at at anyone, uh, yeah, not a technical person. Hmm. So anybody will be able to get sent their uh, their their, their um, DigiLife um, smart home uh, you know, uh, set of devices. They'll put in these wireless things around the house and wherever you know wherever they need to be. Uh, but you don't need to work out you know Wi-Fi passwords and other sort of complex things um, like that. It'll uh, it'll just uh, you know have a SIM card in it and uh, but doesn't um, it seem like that way. you're going back to the past a little bit? Because um, I've always thought as I'm going to control my house and control this and control that, it will all be over the internet because we're all going to be connected um, somehow to the internet. And so why not do all our communications over the internet. Um, I think it will. I think it will be internet based. So they were using a cellular network, but really just to link it into the internet. But so e- well, yes. But every mm. everybody is well. Most mm. folks are connected to, uh, to the internet, mm. and so why not do the access through the do internet the whole lot. rather yeah. than um, take. Um, a jump out there and say, oh, well, let's do it for the wireless and then yeah, pop good. back in the internet again. Yeah, good point. Mm. Well, maybe they'll offer, offer both mm. in time and, you know, if mm. people are in, in areas where they can get a good internet connection but not uh, not mobile coverage, that comes in handy and so on. But um, uh, and, and areas like, uh, you know, surveillance video and so on, Mm. Uh, that might not work so well over over a mobile network. Mm. Uh, certainly, as as you get lots and lots of people mm. on on board, and you can end up maybe using a little bit too much of your bandwidth. 
but it depends on how 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 that works. So yeah, I think this is interesting. Anyone who's interested, um, jump on digilife.co.nz. Um, they have got a form you can fill out, uh, which I think uh, is just for a few more days actually, uh, to register for the trial. And I think they've already got uh, they've already been oversubscribed. Um, by I'm I'm hearing maybe even ten to one, um, but hey, if you want a chance to be on that trial, it's worth putting your name into the hat anyway, uh, with the hope that um, that you you may be selected to participate in the trial. So uh, yeah, well 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 uh, well worth a look anyway, just to get a, a heads up on uh, on what telecom are working on, and they do point out that that you know this is a trial, and uh, you know they're not committed to a, a final product launch into into the market. This is for them to test out the market and test out some uh, you know some some product development and to see how it flies so uh, I'm hopeful that it will will fly quite well uh, because I think it could be really cool uh, now a few other bits and pieces uh, we've, we've talked recently about the news from uh, mobile World Congress in uh, in Barcelona and obviously some new uh, new gadgets announced there a- as usual uh, had a, a good chance over the last few days to spend some time with um, with two of the, the the new smartphones that'll be launching into the market next year uh, Samsung Galaxy S5 uh, had about three days with uh, one of the prototypes there so um, uh, that that was fun just to get to get hands on and. Uh, at this stage, it is looking like a really, really cool, uh, really cool device. Uh, I am quite pleased that Samsung have sort of jumped on board with the uh, the waterproof phone concept. It's certainly something I've uh, I've appreciated about my um, my Sony Xperia um, Z. Uh, that is is really handy. Um, great camera. I'm you know getting got used to the uh, the fingerprint reader and so on. Um, haven't found a huge amount of use just yet for the heart rate monitor that's built into the Galaxy S5, uh, but I know as with all of these niche features, there'll be uh, there'll be one or two things that sort of you know stand stands out uh, for you know, each individual will find things that they quite like. So um, yeah, now Brian, what uh, what's your smartphone of choice at the moment? Ha, well you. Yeah. Going to have a bit of a laugh at this. Uh, it's actually the HTC HD2, which is um, ooh, um, probably five years old. Um, it was running uh, Windows 6.5 mobile, um, having a bit of a play around with it. Uh, you see, I believe a phone is for, for talking to folks on. Yeah, um, yeah. If you want all the other smart stuff, that's why God invented a tablet. You know? Yeah, yeah. But anyway... Um, so um, it was running Windows Mobile 7 and then being, as I explained to you before, a bit of an um, Android bigot, I now have the this five-year-old device running uh, Android KitKat. A lot of fun. But that, I, I that's use awesome. It. So I you, use so it you really do enjoy sort of tinkering around sort Absolutely, of software-wise yeah. and loading on the, the, the different builds yeah. and so on. Which I might say you can't really do that on an Apple, but there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did make some comments like that a little bit earlier on before we started recording. Uh, yeah, I mean that that was actually a, a really incredible phone from HTC, and uh, I, you know I've got a couple of them uh, that that are still kicking around the office. And uh, yeah, it it's, um, was a was a pretty impressive device when it came out. And uh, yeah, the fact that you could put uh, yeah started with that Windows Mobile six point five as you say, I think people worked out certainly how to get Windows Phone seven on there, and I think even Windows Phone 
eight, eight um, yes. that that w- it was possible as well. And then now you say, uh, you know, Kit Kit Kat. Kit Kat. For, um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, and and obviously other versions of Android that have been able to get onto that phone. So um, yeah, and a nice uh, a nice piece of work from um, from from HTC on. On that one, so um, yeah, oh, that, that's really that's really cool. But uh, uh, apparently, uh, where HTC lost the plot, though, Paul, is where they stopped with that openness, and they closed the whole thing down, and they apparently lost quite a bit of market share because of that. Yeah, and I think um, the the other point is that uh, Samsung have just had such a huge momentum behind oh, yes. what they've done. Uh, I th- I think that you know that that certainly has uh, has hurt them. I've got the um, HTC One uh, X here. I think it's uh, it's called, um, which was a you know the the sort of the top. Uh, HTC phone, what eighteen months ago, something like that, um, and and a nice, you know, nice design, well built phone. But next to the, uh, well, it was the Galaxy S S three at the time. Um, it, it was found to be lacking in a couple of areas. The particular one for me was probably the um, uh, the battery, you know, the yeah. performance in regards to battery. And you know, they've gone to a more uh, certainly, you know, um, what's the best way to describe? You know, sort of all in, all enclosed sort of uh, device, a bit more iPhone like. Mm. Uh, whereas uh, Samsung have stayed down the track of a removable yeah. back and you know, change well, the battery exactly so. and, I, I, and and I, I, and, and so on, which, yeah, as you say, it's... Um, I read somewhere where Samsung have 65 different models. Now, isn't that extraordinary? And I think uh, if you want to sort of rule the world, that's probably a good way to start. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, Apple go the opposite way, don't they? They have a small yeah. number of products, mm. but they sell you know more of them than than just about anyone else does in terms of uh, devices. But no, um, no, not anymore. No, sir. Well, well, Samsung. I'm excluding Samsung. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they, you know, they, they do, oh, they do yes, very, yeah. very well. Yeah, and yep. yeah, Samsung because they're selling low yep. cost up to yep. up to the, yep. the high end. Uh, you know, their, their sales figures are, are sort of off the off the charts mm. in terms mm. of numbers. Um, but yeah, it, it's it is interesting, and uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure what uh, what HTC's uh, longer longer term uh, future holds. Well, um, someone said that they were going to be building the the new ten uh, inch uh, Nexus um, Mark II. Somebody said, mind you, somebody said there that LG was going to do it. And Samsung was going to do it. That's right, the new Google so Nexus. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but uh, nothing's really happened with that, has it? I'm afraid not. I'm just mm. waiting, waiting. <laughs> um, now the other the other phone, and we'll, we'll talk more about the Galaxy S5 um, as as we get more more time with the device. Uh, but I I guess uh, for me the the camera also is an area that that stood out. And I'd certainly like to have more time with that. Uh, but I also alongside it, I had the uh, Sony Xperia Z2, uh, which which we've got sitting here as well. And uh, that's pretty much impressed me as well. Now, uh, yeah, different. And I don't think probably um, there's any chance that uh, that Sony are going to get the you know the the broadness of attention or the sales figures. Uh, that that yeah, I don't think Sony are going to get those sort of figures when we compare it with the um, Samsung Galaxy S5. 
um, but still a real standout device. And, and the uniques on the Sony, uh, they, they've uh, they've got 20 megapixel camera, which they had last year, but they've improved improved some of the, the things around that. Uh, they've got their, uh, what do they call it, Steady Shot, which is, a, I guess, one of you know Sony's sort of trademark things in their handy cams and uh, various, you know, their various video uh, cameras, so they've built that in. Um, and they've got some front-facing uh, facing, uh, speakers, which, which is, you know, nice from that audio perspective. Uh, and they, you know they've stepped up their waterproof, uh, dustproof thing. Although that's not not a unique for them anymore now that uh, Samsung uh, are doing it as well. Um, but a really impressive device overall, and three gigs of RAM, which is a, a phenomenal amount of RAM to have in your pocket uh, in a in a smartphone. Um, you know we, we we're really uh, talking a, a pretty high end uh, device there with uh, the quad core processor and so on. So um, yeah, some really um, Impressive computing power that uh, is really in in this um, yeah the, even the current generation of devices, but uh, it just keeps stepping up with each, each new release. Um, and both both of them running uh, um, Android uh, 4.4.2 at the moment in the builds that we've seen. And, of course, these products are still close to a month away. Uh, Galaxy S5 is out, uh, I think, April the 11th. And uh, Vodafone have the exclusive on the Xperia uh, Z2. And I think that will be launching in a similar sort of time frame, probably uh, mid-April. So, Brian, will you be lining up for, uh, for, for a, a, new, uh, a new smartphone? Do, do you see the need? Um. I'm guessing I'm an old fogey on this. As I say, a phone, I believe, is for, for talking to. Um, I'm going to hang on to this HD2 for a little while, but I want that new tablet, please, because <laughs> that's got all the new toys in. That'll yeah. have, that'll have um, um, Android key line, was it? Key lime pie, or, yeah, yeah. Oh, shit, that's the stuff. Yep, yep. All right. These phones right. are toys. Tablets are real things. <laughs> well, it depends how close you hold them to your face. You see, um, yeah. yeah, they become a tablet the closer you pull <laughs> yeah, it towards enough. you. Yeah, um, there you go. But but they are coming together, aren't they? Because um, what do they call them? Phablets. They're what six inch phones? Is it? That, that's right. Yeah, and the, and the six inch phones. You know, really, really. And I mean, even even this generation with the uh, uh, the the uh, um, Xperia Z2 and the the Galaxy S S5, yeah, the X5 5.1 mm. uh, inch screen and 5.2 on the, um, there, yeah. the 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 Sony. I mean, these are are impressive displays, and I think this you know continues to put pressure on on Apple with their four inch display. That uh, these big bigger screens are just becoming. Yeah, you know, more and more normalised every every day. So, uh, yeah, I I don't know. I said last year I'd be uh, I'd be surprised if the next iPhone didn't have a bigger screen. Uh, I'm still saying the same about the next iPhone. Well, I, um, I that, do that think there will they, be one with yeah, a bigger screen. I and, think they better hurry up and get that the bigger Apple out because they will be left behind. No, I think their their uh, their profitability still look, looking looking pretty good <laughs> if you're a, if True. you're a shareholder. You don't have too much to complain about. Uh, now, well, there's a few other news bits, but um, I'd I'd like to hear Brian from you a little bit, um, really about your your uh, your background, your history within the uh, within the IT industry in New Zealand. I've dealt with uh, with some of your firms in, in years years gone by. Um, and, yeah, I'm interested sort of where, where it all started, how you found yourself in uh, in the IT industry and, you know, yeah, how well, it was that you, uh, you, you found yourself uh, meeting Steve Jobs, for instance. All right. Yeah, well, we started off um, 
uh, we uh, had a uh, uh, company selling calculators all around the town, all around the country, in fact, and uh, found that uh, we thought there might be business um, uh, selling uh, high-end calculators. So uh, I bought a store in town called, it was that time called the Calculator Centre. I think it's now called the Computer Centre, just down from the university there. Right. And um, that was going along fine, and we're selling these high-end uh, Texas Instrument jobbies and the HP. And then the the sales of that were, were flattening off, and I'm thinking, what is going on? And then someone said, these... Uh, university people aren't, aren't buying them anymore. So I thought a bit of fun of what's going on and I went up to the uh, to the hallowed uh, ivy-coloured um, clad buildings and uh, had a look around and these people were using these thing called personal computers and there was uh, Tandy there and Apple and Commodore and I'm thinking hmm, this is probably the future. So uh, I decided not to worry about the high-end HP and the high-end TI, but to start worrying about how I can get into this PC business. And that's exactly what I did. I uh, I wrote to Apple and uh, said I'd like to come and visit them and uh, possibly with a, a chance to uh, picking up the franchise for New Zealand. And uh, they wrote back and said, yeah, sure, come on. So uh, went into a state at... Um, um, San Jose at the San Jose Motel I had to go and see Steve Jobs the following morning and uh, so I was down at breakfast and I said uh, I'm looking, could you get me a cab I want to go to Apple and they said well where's that and I said, well, <laughs> um, Apple. well uh, in, in Cupertino I think uh, so we all, we all had a look in the phone book, and there it was. Okay, yeah. and so, <laughs> so they didn't. Know. So the the cab the cab company found uh, luckily Apple for me, and uh, I met Steve Jobs there. Uh, he pitched Apple to me, and I pitched uh, my company, which at the time was um, CD Distributors, I think, and. Uh, yeah, we we had a great time. I found him a, a most personable fellow. Actually, uh, people talked him talk about him being um, somewhat a bit rough. I suppose if you working for him, it's a bit different than uh, being, being sold being, to, being pitched to. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so we had lunch, and uh, I, I left. And about um, a month or so later, I had this wonderful. It was a telex at the time, Paul. A I telex. Did, did, yes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Isn't that so last century? <laughs> but anyway. Uh, you you might explain what a telex is because I imagine there will be one or two <laughs> listeners that, that don't know well, what a telex well, is. It's like a typewriter that's being fed by electrical impulses from copper wires, something like that. It's yep. a predecessor <laughs> to the facts, really, yeah. isn't it? Uh, in, ooh, in, yeah. in some in, ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, yeah. a lot of people don't know what a fax is yeah. these days either. So, uh, And so then... Um, uh, we did the Apple thing. It was most interesting because uh, there was, of course, no software for the Apple. It was very much a uh, a, a private um, person's thing, but we wanted to make money out of it. And so I decided that about the only people who could really make use of it from a professional standpoint would be school teachers, because school teachers um, who know most everything would at least know how to write programs for the Apple and uh, then make it useful in the school. So I, 
I th- I threw one uh, in the back of a little Hillman Hunter I had and drove up and down. I, I think I must have visited every single high school in the country and um, and sold them Apple com- computers. Fantastic. Um, and it was a great experience. Um, and uh, we also established uh, what would what uh, was then the first com- computer reselling chain. This was uh, some uh, an exercise where I contacted um, probably fifty uh, electrical uh, um, retailers up and down the country and uh, suggested they might like to try and selling these these uh, PCs. And um, at that stage, it was the Apple II, and uh, I made one available for for them at at half price. And uh, those that picked it up, uh, there was about 12 of them, thought this is a really good way to make a buck. So I I canned the rest, and uh, we moved forward with a very, very strong but small chain of computer resellers. Wonderful. and at about that that time, we were doing so well. Someone come along, came along, and said, uh, "Would you like to um, sell to us?" And I said, well, "You you mean you want to buy me?" And they said, "Yes." And I said, "Certainly," because everyone ultimately is for sale. And uh, but just before that, I had this wonderful experience of uh, seeing that little tiny Macintosh. We went to. Um, an international meeting in Hawaii and in the ballroom there was about um, or must have been about a thousand of us Apple uh, people in the in there and the lights were out and suddenly these little boxes little black and white boxes lit up and there was Mac Wright and Mac Paint and the most extraordinary thing and we all all leapt up it was a spontaneous wow you know that was my first view of apple and uh, of the apple mac of the apple mac yeah an amazing amazing thing and what part did steve jobs play in that at that stage was was he was he the the showman he was very much very much the showman yes very Mm. much so and was very much um his baby loved it but uh, just before uh, I left the the Apple camp or sold it. We had a thing called the Lisa. I don't know whether you ever yeah yeah remember remember that. So uh, that was the forerunner to the Mac, wasn't it? Was, it? But, um, but it sort of well, sort I don't of. know if it became available here before the Mac or not. Uh, it came out about the same time. Uh, what happened was that Jobs said to two groups of people, "Go away and make me a graphical user inter- in, um, interface device." and uh, one team came out with the Apple Mac and another team came out with the Apple Lisa. The Apple Lisa was a splendidly wonderful thing about um, about the size of, whoa, what, about um, two foot long by about, uh, with, with a seven or eight foot, uh, seven or eight inch black and white screen. Uh, a lovely machine but uh, sold in this country for $25,000. Yeah, not, as a, not a cheap piece of technology. <laughs> as opposed to a Mac, which I think sold about about two grand at the time. So obviously the Mac took off and the Lisa didn't. But mm-hmm. uh, they were. it's wonderful when you sell a $25,000 piece of kit, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so did you sell a few of those? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, and 
and uh, in that case we sold more leases per square inch than any country in the world. Wow. Yeah, wow. So was that how, how did you achieve Mind that? You, that? That wasn't very many, but yeah, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> there wasn't much competition. But, yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, we achieved it because, well, first of all, being um, uh, a very um, a smallish company, our, um, profit was the thing, and there was so much profit in this lease, and it was so much such a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. And in New Zealand, uh, a lot of um, early adopters, a hell of a lot in a country like this, there are a lot of early adopters, and. Um, to some people, price is not an option. Sure. And so they, they picked up the Lisa and ran with it. No issue. Uh, yeah. yeah. It was great. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and the Mac, how did, how did that go for you? Oh, gangbusters. Yeah. Absolutely gangbusters. And I guess that must have made then CED Distributors a pretty valuable company when someone yes. came knocking on yeah, your door indeed. because yes. there, was some, there was some good profits to yes. be had across yes, those indeed. products. Yeah. yeah. But ultimately, everyone has their price. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> And so um, uh, left left that and uh, retired for ooh, about two years, and I wondered, okay. I wondered what on earth to do. And at the time, we were selling uh, with the with the Macintosh. We were selling some uh, Microsoft software, and so I thought, well, having done hardware, well, let's let's try this try the software thing. So I think it was eighty six. It obtained the rights for uh, Microsoft for New Zealand. A pretty small company back in uh, in eighty six. Yes, Microsoft. indeed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, what they did have, which interested me, they had all this DOS stuff, and I'd never understood it. And it was, but um, uh, that was the stuff that made the money. Was all this um, DOS things? People and, were buying Microsoft yeah, Word and buying DOS itself. As yeah, a, and all, all this and yeah. uh, and. But coming up the street was some um, window stuff, and I thought, ah, this feels like a Macintosh. And indeed, it, was, it, it, it felt like a Macintosh too. So we tried uh, very, very hard to market the, the, the uh, Windows product in New Zealand uh, and achieved once again without wanting to sound, wishing to be boring, we sold more Windows product per square inch than any other country in the world. Once again, because I was so infatuated with the Macintosh mm. that now you could do this in the in what this awful DOS world thing. Now you could do it and have a computer that really worked like a com- computer. So we went out and, and, and sold that one. Mm. But anyway, um, had a lot of fun with Microsoft and... Um, Microsoft came, I think, in um, about 1991-92. There was a nice, pleasant, easy handover. Um, didn't make any money out of the handover, but um, made a lot of friends anyway. Yeah, and, and tell me about, about that, about working with Microsoft, working with, uh, with Bill Gates, doing business with him. How was that experience? Uh, you, you must have met him a few times. Oh, I did, yes. Uh, the first time I met him, I was, um, still had the Apple franchise, and Apple said you should go up to Seattle and uh, visit Microsoft. Really? Apple suggested yep, that? Apple suggested that. Was, was it Steve himself that suggested that? Uh, or, uh, uh, no, no, no. 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 It was just, just one, uh, yeah. one of the folks. Yeah. So... Yeah. Um, I went up there and uh, visited the uh, managing director of Microsoft, who was a fellow called Vern Rayburn. Okay. And um, was talking to him, and uh, in bounces Kid, um, 
with sort of sneakers and a hat on backwards and all the real stuff. And he sat on the edge of a table and swung his thing. I didn't quite, did not quite get the, um, the introduction correct. And anyway, so the he didn't realise who he was. was. No, um, so he's been. And so I said, I said to Vern, God's sake, who on the earth was that? He's, I said, he's going around like like he owns the place. And Vern said, he does, he does. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yes, I met him quite a few times after that, and uh, once again, um, a pretty nice guy, pretty quiet fellow, mm. you know. But um, no. Most uh, most an enjoyable person, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, would you have mostly interacted him when you were with him when you're in the US, or did he come down here from time to time during during you know that uh, that period of, uh, he, he of used distributing to, he used the to visit Australia quite a bit mm. um, because of there was Microsoft Australia. Mm. Um, I think he came to New Zealand once. I'm not I'm not sure. I remember seeing him when I was uh, at Microsoft, mm. probably. 93-ish mm-hmm. and uh, at that stage apparently he used to come down oh, and do yes, sort of yep. you know an- annual reviews because he had a company here at, at that yeah, stage but, but but during the yep. just time you were just distributing yep. then uh, yep. I guess that mm-hmm. w- wouldn't have been necessary for however him to come down. however we still had to toe the line even though we were a, an independent company where we were essentially um, an ad hoc country sub and we had to do what we were told. These reports will be then. And then oh, that. really? Yes, right. So even though you, you weren't Microsoft there. itself, yeah. they wanted reports yeah. as though you were a Microsoft office Absolutely in many so. ways. Yes. And, yeah, and uh, the thing was that if you didn't do that, you had the feeling you might not be having it next year. So, right, uh, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember getting the wrath of one of the Microsoft employees, actually, because um, I think the day that, that – um, that that bill came in was, was maybe a public holiday or something, mm. and there there was um, on the floor that I went down to um, the the door was was uh, was locked, and I'd seen him upstairs, and then I was I was uh, downstairs in the building in uh, Simon Street at the time, and I was trying to work out how to get in this door, and mm-hmm. you know when you exit some buildings, you've got a button on the side yes, that you press. Yes. So I went over to the side to look for a button. Well, that was the light switch for this floor, and Bill was in an internal room. <laughs> Doing the review with no window, so I'd uh, flick the lights out on uh, on Bill Gates. So that's my one Bill Gates story. Uh, but uh, yeah, oh well, that's that's really interesting. So when when Microsoft came in, you'd been distributing their product for some time mm-hmm. and uh, done very well with those sales. So you must have built that into. It must have been a business that did fairly fairly well for you up until. Up yeah. until the time you sort of yeah. no longer, I guess, sort of you know owned the whole yeah. Microsoft patch. Well, um, you would appreciate, Paul, that when you're a, when you are one of one distributors, that's a hell of a lot different to being one of five distributors. The fun goes out of it, as does the money, of course. Mm. But also, when I say the fun goes out of it, it means that you are no longer developing a brand, working on it, selling it, marketing. Because what's happened is that Microsoft is in the country doing all that, and all you are is a time and place distributor. So you're adding little, if anything, to, to the to the um, pond at all. Right, and it, people will just buy off whoever sells them the product the cheapest or, or right. has stock on a it's, given day sort of thing. It's a commodity. So what mm-hmm. happens, of course, is the whole 
idea of cheapest as best comes in so the distributors don't make any money and it ends up with the retailers not making any money because, okay, uh, the consumer gets into part of this and say, well, I can get Microsoft Word down there for a dollar less and all this thing. So no one is making any money. Mm, mm, mm. And at that time... That's when you get out. Yeah, yep. So you, <laughs> made, the, you made the good money when it was there to be made. And Hon- how, how many- honest, honest Christian margins, I might add. <laughs> <laughs> and how many people did you have working for you at Brian Moore? Uh, that sort of we had the, about, the thir- about 30, 35, 40. We had um, that was Auckland, Wellington, and Christchurch. Mm, yeah, mm. mm-hmm. yeah. Because I mean, I remember dealing with uh, you know with with some of your people who ended up moving over to uh, Microsoft. Uh, there was, uh, um, I think, Mike Jones, um, oh, yes, Mike, yes. Michael Howard, who, who's you know, done very well, has uh, you know, become a security expert uh, yeah. for, for Microsoft, one of their top guys in, in the US, and, uh, and, and Sean Dring, who, who you know, worked for Microsoft here in New Zealand for many years. Yeah. Uh, and all of those guys had, had you know, spent time on your team before, I guess, yeah. uh, you stopped, you know, having a having a role for them, and Microsoft yeah. was able to, uh, you know, take yeah. them across. But, but it's certainly funny when you look at the the smaller companies such as us ourselves, and then you look at the big companies. I think you're either a, a small company person or you're a corporate person. I certainly am not. I found it in my. You're not uh, the big corporate guy. I, I guess not. <laughs> and I found in the. Um, in the last year or so, when we when we were really humming as the Microsoft distributor and forty employees, I just felt like um, a twenty four hour HR director. It just I had a staff. Mm, mm. It's terrible, there are lots, terrible. lots of lots of challenges to deal <laughs> with. That probably weren't as yeah. much fun as getting mm. the business going. In exactly the, so. In, yeah. in, in in the early days, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. And so the the company we have at the moment, sort of uh, six or seven folk, including Maureen and myself, mm. that's a lovely size. Yeah, we don't have HR problems. That's great. Yeah. So so tell me about the sort of things that you you do now. And uh, you know what? What are, what are some of the more interesting cases you can tell us? In, the, in that, uh, you know, your your company's called Computer Forensics. The forensic side certainly be yeah, a big part of what you do, as well as that sort of file well, recovery. Well, right? funnily enough, no. The the um, whilst we started off um, and called ourselves com- Computer Forensics, uh, we almost went broke, and uh, we started off in 1999. Almost went broke trying to tell these jolly lawyers how important computer forensics was and how you could win all these law cases they, right, they, right. they never understood because uh, it was that just wasn't the way they worked right so uh, the just before we uh, finally decided to ah oh, this is all too hard I thought well the same skills that are required for uh, computer forensics are required for data recovery but what a different marketplace. Those people want to talk to you. And they, they, want they really to want to yeah, get their data They back. really do. Yeah, so okay. we, we bound it on from there. And to give you some idea, it's probably the old 80-20 rule at the, at the moment. Um, yeah. uh, 20% uh, computer forensics, 80% data recovery. But oh, we, we have a job on at the moment from a particular client. This is big. This is a big array of disks there mm. are there are 11 uh, 11 3 terabyte disks 
in each uh, volume and we have three volumes so that's 33 three terabyte discs so and this huge, is huge a, amount of storage. Huge, this is the largest this is the largest by far we've ever done and when you have faulty discs there and you've got to put that together uh, it um, when we st- first started looking at it, we think, how on earth? And then I thought, you know, you've got the elephant there. You just gently, gently just gnawed him away, and mm. that's what's happening. Yep. We're winning, but it is it is the most exciting challenge, really is. Mm. Uh, that's a huge amount of data to have to yeah. recover. Yeah. So so what are the sort of typical – I mean, that, that's a, an extreme most case. Most unusual. But, but yeah. what, what, would have, what might have happened – in a situation like that or, or, or similar to have well, led to this situation? Well, what to, to, happens to is, problem. Uh, you know, you've got, um, uh, as with solid-state devices, um, discs are um, a very imperfect medium. Very true. I'm not quite sure where we're going to ever get a, a perfect one. Mm. Uh, never, I hope, otherwise we'll have nothing to, uh, to do. But apart from the cases where people are dropping their external USB and whatever, um, we generally find the majority of when it's, when it's non-physical is um, caused by bad sectors. Ultimately, every disk will fail due to uh, magnetic um, uh, plating problems, which is ma- um, um, caused most times i think by some sort of electrochemical action okay and uh, of course that 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 can attack anywhere on the disk whether it's in your table of contents or your most important um, piece of data or so on sure yeah and uh, i mean we've got new file systems there's a whole lot that's yeah i guess changes over times different raid uh, systems yeah. where disks are all blocked together rules are all the same rules are all, it all comes down to one disk that I mean, whether it's Linux or um, OS2, bless it, <laughs> or, or Mac or Windows, they all have a file structure, they have a data area, and you've got to approach that in a very disciplined way. Right, mm. and that's and that's that's what that's you do. That's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, great. And you have a, how high a success rate do you get? How often do you get well, a situation it, well, where it, you, it, it, you it, can't get anything okay. at all? I guess there would be situations where something's really, really damaged. Or uh, yes, well, uh, when you when you have a case, uh, you obviously you know of, of head crashes. Um, what happens is uh, that a, a head read write assembly will fail. Uh, whether it's for some internal mechanical reason or, or someone's dropped it or mm. whatever. But what happens is the, the read-write heads um, make con- continuous sustained contact with a disc that's going around about 7,000 RPM. Now, you can imagine what that, that, that does. That's with spinning pretty fast, service. doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, so that scrapes the, uh, all the stuff off. And um, you just can't get it back. Your data is gone. Yeah, yeah. And uh, even though all the plating is not scraped off, if, uh, if you've just got rings etched into it, those rings are s- of such a height in magnitude in microns mm, that the mm. read-write head is unable to sweep backwards and forwards. So the, the read-write head can't check in. If it can't check in, it it doesn't know what it is, and so once you've got rings on a disc, it's history. It's right, gone. there is right. no, there, there is just nothing. No way in this universe you can get it back. So, 
I guess when people don't back up, that kind of helps you. Yep. If everyone backed up and not back up just once, Paul, you've got to back up twice, but don't tell anybody. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Because um, the reason why we're in business is because discs fail. And Mm. so folks go along thinking, oh, well, I'll just back this up. Um, But that fails. So, so frankly, back up twice yeah. is the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, good, good, good advice there. Um, and and on the forensic side, what if, I mean, can you share some some stories? Maybe yeah, you might not be able to share the names behind no. them, but uh, um, what well, sort of situations well, do you come across yeah. there? Once again, this um, uh, extraordinary eighty twenty rule comes into play. Eighty um, percent of our business is to do when employees have stolen their their employer's intellectual property now. Uh, and very often this happens because an, an employee has been there for three or four or five years, decides they want to go out in competition or go and work for another company in, in competition and um, decides that all that intellectual property that they have uh, created well, morally, it belongs to me, doesn't it? Not thinking, for one instance, that no, morally, it doesn't. Morally, and actually, and legally, it belongs to your employer. Well, it was probably the employer that, that paid them to exactly create the data so. and to yeah. build up the names and addresses yeah. in their database and, and, and so, so on. And so that's what um, 80% of our business is, is, is um, and nailing these people and... Um, and what they don't realise, Paul, is is when they're stealing this data and taking off and doing some some something with it, uh, they are in fact committing a crime. It's theft. And I don't think most people yeah. would sort of think of it, it in is, quite those it terms, would they? It is a crime. And so next time you think you want to um, steal some of your employer's IP, think about it that if you're caught you'll never be able to get into America. Wow. Because you're a felon. Mm. 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 Yeah. And there's the other cases, of course, where we, you know, the distraught husband or distraught wife rings up and you've got um, um, all sorts of proof of assignations on the... No, it's... um, uh, That sort of business... Fortunately, we don't do much of that because uh, it's a bit distressing. And anyway, um, they can't afford it. Mm, mm, <laughs> um, but a very nasty part of our business, and fortunately it doesn't happen very often, is um, objectionable material. I'm not talking about p- uh, pornography here. Mm. I'm talking about, um, well... The extreme end of the scale kiddie, as far kiddie, as that's... No, well, I'm talking about kiddie porn, mm. that sort of stuff. Um Fortunately, uh, it's not as rampant as you'd think, but it is there. Mm. And um, we've had to report it about probably about 10 times since we've been in business. We, uh, obviously, we don't spend our time looking for, mm. for obje- objectionable mm. stuff. But when we find it, we report it immediately to DIA. We have to do that. Mm. And also, we cannot give them their disc back because if we did... Uh, we would be guilty of distributing objectionable material. So, wow. so what we do is we um, 
give the uh, client back copies of all their data and the original disk goes to DIA mm. for their mm. further whatever they do with it. Wow, yeah. wow. Mm. Oh, well, I mean, that's, um, that's handy that you're able to be involved in, mm. in that process. Mm. I'm sure it's not And it's not nice to nail them, that you, too. That, that you, really you would pick. But, um, but, yeah, if you've got having that impact, yep. then, uh, then that's yep. positive. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Wow, really, uh, really interesting stuff. And I mean, how often do these sorts of things happen with, uh, yeah, with people running off with with their employers' data and so on? Is it? Uh, um, uh, well, it, it's happening in every town, in every in every way. Um, fortunately, being uh, um, very skilled in data recovery, we. Uh, we can perhaps do it a little bit more than the normal forensic investigator because um, there was one case where a, uh, an employee was thought to have stolen this material and to prove it, we had to get, uh, get information from a disk that, had, uh, that was now an independent disk but previously in its previous life was a server and prior to that was an independent disk, and we had to go back three generations of use right. to get some so data. So it had been erased multiple yeah. times, yeah. reused yeah. in different And in we were different able manners. to get it. We couldn't get the whole document, but we, we had um, an, um, the string of ASCII text big enough that, 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 that could proved, show proved the what needed to be yeah. proven. Exactly so. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if you're going to do forensic properly, you must be very, very skilled in data recovery. Mm. And, of course, uh, data recovery means uh, you must be able to repair hard disks as well. Because if the bad person uh, somehow knows that something's going to happen in the night before it goes whack on the hard disk, um, you've got to be able to repair that and get into it, so, uh, which, of course, we do. We have our own clean room. Wow. That, and, that uh, can't be particularly uh, a common thing for people to be uh, putting uh, you know, hard drives back together and uh, no, making you, them work. No, you, you actually have to do this because you're, you're operating at micron level. And um, if you open up a hard disk in the, in the normal room, mm. the dust moats are big enough that they can impede the operation of the read-write heads over that um, 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 platter surface mm. and normally we will not attempt to do data recovery on a hard disk that's been opened right right but it's okay. it's that bad yeah mm, mm. Mm. and the, the newest hard disks you know they're, they're releasing the um uh well there's there's five terabyte disks out now and then there's the six terabyte disks that are uh, that are helium filled to um uh Supposedly, to to sort of reduce the friction inside the uh, yeah. mechanism. Yeah. Have you? Uh, yeah. What's your thoughts on um, on not, that? Is that that would make your life difficult if you had to get it, it to a helium it re- filled it disc? Really, it? it really would. You'd um, be a bit I think I think they're a little way off because they are they are pretty expensive devices, mm. and mm. Um, I think they are some some years off. And by then, uh, the industry will have worked out. You know how to do it, but if you brought one in tomorrow, I'd have to say no, thank you, but no, thank you. Yeah, you know? yeah, okay. So if you've got important data and you want to know, you can recover yeah. it. Stay away from yeah. the uh, uh, the six terabyte helium filled <laughs> yeah. discs. But I, I think the other interesting thing that's going on in the storage world is the whole business of SSDs. 
solar state devices. Um, from our point of view, they they appear to be um, not a particularly good uh, way of storing data. They have a finite life. As, uh, yeah, they they yeah. they don't last forever, do yeah, they? And, yeah, I, right. and I think you you sort of have this feeling about you know because it's some form of memory mm. that. Yeah, it's just going to uh, just going to keep keep but, working. There's nothing moving, so why should there be a problem? But they they seem. I don't know. This is just a, a gut feeling, but they seem to be more faulty than they than they they should. Which I suspect is why industry at large is not using these in any large capacity. No pun intended. Any large capacity for um, desktops and so on. The, and the, I think the reason for that is that uh, a they're a little, little bit more expensive, but b they're not as reliable. I suspect, but I think the very good use of them is is using them as a as an operating system device. Where if they fail, who cares? You just get a new device and put the operating you don't have system. A, on. Have a lot of yeah. data on it. So you got yeah. quick. Uh, whoops, sorry, you, the, you've, you've got quick boot up and uh, yeah. Yeah, well, there's the there's the two types. Um, there's MLC and, and and SLC, and I think you know most of what we see at a consumer level are um, other other lower other lower cost ones. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can get obviously you know server based um, SSD discs. I mean, yeah. they're not physically uh, discs. Uh, that that uh, yeah, there's a real premium uh, a real premium price on. And uh, and and those don't have the same reliability issues that we see with right. the uh, mm. um, with with the consumer uh, based mm. discs. So yeah, I guess that's the um, that that's probably the the difference. Um, MLC being the what do they call it? Multi level cell, mm. um, and SLC being the um, single level. Um, Sell and uh, that I believe is is the one that's um, yeah that's right up there sort of on the reliability perspective, mm. but is is so expensive but, that uh, you, yeah. yeah individuals aren't normally going to be using yeah. them in their uh, I think in, in their yeah. you know devices just you know so much. I think you'd have to say, Paul, that that the the answer to the spinning hard disk is not the SSD. There is something out there that will take. From the discs, certainly uh, their higher capa- yeah. capacity yeah. end. Um, yeah. It's uh, there's there's still a big gap, isn't there? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming in, Brian. I've really okay. enjoyed you, enjoyed yeah. our discussion. It's um, been fun. Yeah, yeah, it's been fantastic. So, uh, thank you for joining me on the NZ Tech okay. Podcast. Now, where do people uh, track you down online? You got a website? Okay. Yes. Um, oh, a commercial. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> uh, data hyphen recovery dot co dot nz and uh, 0800 lost files 0800 567834 what a lovely number 567834 nice well it's yep. obviously got a got a ring a ring to it for you because when it rings it uh, it probably means you're going to be earning something thank so, you uh, yeah. hey no that's that's really good great to uh, great great to uh, to hear about computer you, forensics man. and uh, and to hear about a, a you know a little history of the uh, the computer industry in in New Zealand and, and the part you've uh, you've you've played in it 
Uh, I'm sure uh, across our listeners there'll be uh, you know, many that have, that have come across you uh, um, over the years and, and others that um, have, have enjoyed hearing a little bit about, uh, about you. You know, what, what's gone on. So Good, thanks, thanks very much. much. All it's right. been fun. Well, that wraps us up for this episode. Uh, we'll catch everyone back uh, again next week. You can find us online, nztechpodcast.com, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and the, the usual uh, social channels. And uh, you can look out at uh, globalvoicemedia.com to find out about some of, uh, some of our other podcasts, such as New Zealand Business Podcast and uh, New Zealand Entertainment Podcast. All right, see ya.